Hello and oh, hello and welcome to episode 19 of the True Man podcast, the podcast designed to create a generation of self-defined men. Today, I am joined by Joe Elliott. Joe, thank you so much for being with me today. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Lewis. How are you? Very well. Amazing. Thank you so much once again for joining me. As always, I love to start the podcast with my favorite question. And in your own words, Joe, what makes you a man? Yeah, so, I mean, I've said to you, I've listened to a few of these and I've thought about this question quite a lot and I still don't think I've been able to think what my response would be. But what makes me the man that I am is probably my whole background, really, you know, from relationships to... That encompasses, you know, relationships, actual friendships, everything, family, and um, just the whole upbringing of values and things like that. It's a it's a difficult question to encompass in a single answer, isn't it? Which I think everybody has said the same thing too. Which is why you've got that smile on your face and you love saying it. <laughs> I love. I just love it. I think it's a great question because you you get so many differing answers with the same sort of undertone. And I, I just think it's, it's, it's a tough question, makes you think, it gets us into the conversation a little bit more deeper. And there's some nice points there to sort of, sort of talk about. And I think it's a question that we should all be asking ourselves as men regularly because it's a changing, it's a changing world. And I think it's important yeah. to think about. But let's, let's just delve into it because I think there's some great little, little things in there. So where where do you want to start do you want to start with upbringing do you want to start with relationships what's what's sort of the topic you want to delve into um, first yeah we'll go right to the start i guess um little, little well, joe yes little, little joe. joe well as opposed to the big joe that i am now of course of course, of course big joe yeah um so i think what made me from my upbringing is like the, the values i was taught growing up the the way in which people, other people are treated, I think that's what makes me the person I am, and what has led to the my career and um, the characteristics I have of myself. Um, so I was lucky to be raised in a in a family that was very comfortable, and I was very, you know, I had a great upbringing, very fortunate, and um, that has enabled me to do so many things that. Have, I've been able to build on a solid foundation, whereas obviously I understand having met people from across the whole range of demographics that it's not always the case. And especially going to university after university, the different experiences I've always known I've had that foundation. And that is probably has made me myself. Awesome. So in regards to into that foundation, what would you say is the key sort of blocks to that? What has given you that confidence to sort of continue on in the world? What are your key areas of, of that foundation? Well, I'd say family always been my key cornerstone. I was, had a, a tight family growing up. So was, you know, I've got my, my parents are still together. Um, and I've just got one younger sister, so as a four, really close. Um, and then extended family always had the support there. And I think that's what always allowed, I could have said absolutely anything that I ever wanted to do to my parents. I've had some ideas 
not matching yours, but similarly sort of random at times where I've just gone off and said, oh, mum, dad, I want to do this. And absolutely, yeah, we're behind you, do that. And then the next day, actually, don't think that is what I want to do. Oh, well, yeah, no problem. We'll support you in doing that as well. And I think that's a, a, allowed me to make mistakes and allowed me to learn. And um, I think that is key to anybody being allowed to develop properly. Yeah, I think failure is one of the greatest things that anyone can do. I am an expert at failing, it is my... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's got to go on the CV at some point, most definitely. So in regards to yourself and that family dynamic, what do you or what have you taken from that to bring forward into, into your life now and potentially what would you pass on into your sort of... Uh, future children or what would you suggest to people uh, sort of listening to this as a as something to consider as part of that so I think values and just being yeah like I said being able to make mistakes and failure um, I think that is one of the most important things that you can learn and a lot of people learn it themselves rather than I know it is something that you have to experience to understand but um, learning that you are allowed to make mistakes and I'm reading um, Stephen Bartlett's new book at the moment, the the diary of a CEO, but the the one thirty three laws to business, and um, one of his is fail. It's like to fail to be successful, you have to fail, because then when failure arrives, once you are successful, then you know how to deal with it. You don't just collapse. And as a parent, future parent, and not parent yet, <laughs> um, I think passing on to kids that they can make mistakes and as long as the values are there, I think making mistakes is a positive thing because that is how you really come across different aspects of life and you might make a mistake in one thing, but then actually something that might have been a mistake leads you down a different path and you never look back. Yeah, definitely. I think mistakes aren't always harsh and they're not always like the end of the world. They're just a case of, that wasn't right for me. A mistake isn't a bad thing or a, a, a negative thing. It's just a case of this happened and it didn't work for me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna change course. So from everything that you've been saying, you're it seems like you've got a very loving, stable, great sort of family dynamic. When it sort of transferred into into school, how did you deal with school what were the sort of challenges what were the what were the highlights how was things on that side of things so to be fair I think um and I've always said that I think I was such a different person at school when when I was young I, I didn't really enjoy school I wasn't one of those people that was like really popular I was I wasn't I didn't have a lack of friends but I was I went to school about 40 minute drive away from where my where I grew up and so when in the early years of secondary school, especially um, when all the everybody else was going out on like a Friday evening in the town I went to school in in Weatherby, um, I was never there because it was such hard work. I'd never really wanted to go back. My mum would always be, "Oh, we'll drop you off and pick you up," but so I missed out on a lot of the tight friendships there, um, and I wasn't actually that bothered. I never felt like. Not that I didn't fit in. I played football, I had good mates, but I never really thought that, oh yeah, these are my mates for I wanna be mates with 
from now on. And I think looking back, it was a bit of a struggle at times. But from that as well, I probably worked a lot harder on my on my own studies than at least until probably year 12 when I went to sixth form. I think that probably the story probably changed there. But um, yeah, I think highlights were all sport and I think that is another foundation of my life is sport but school was a, a time where looking back probably wasn't in the right place um, but again that's something that probably made me what I am rather than I wouldn't change it it's, I wouldn't be the same person yeah definitely I think uh I think I've touched on this on a, in a number of podcasts, but it's always great to touch on. I think sport is one of the greatest things that anyone can be involved in. I think for a man especially, that little edge of competition mixed with uh, friendships and camaraderie is, is yeah. a really important uh, aspect to anyone developing or wanting to sort of move forward with their life and uh, I guess deal with um, adversity as well, right? You don't always win in sport, no matter how good you are at it. It's it's one of those things. Yeah. Is that is that something you agree on? What was your sort of dealings within sports teams? How did that happen? So I always played football growing up um, as a proud northerner that was very much the path that everybody seems to take. Um, played football for my local team, Wheaton Moor, from... 10 years old I think to about 16 and then um, playing for an under 16s team against an under 18s team um, I got injured and damaged ankle ligaments and that was about halfway through year 12 um, in sixth form and didn't play 11 aside football again after that so that was where I think going forward 18 months there on my way to uni I had that competitiveness in me I hadn't actually scratched the itch really for a long time and I remember before I went to university uh, my cousin James who'd been to Newcastle um, he, he said if I have one piece of advice for you it's join a sports team he said you're guaranteed mates and from the off you've got something to do and so when I got to uni, I tried a few out and then I went to boxing. I'd done a little bit of boxing just before I went to university. Um, wasn't keen on that. And then I knew I was always going to find a sport to settle down on. Wasn't going to do lacrosse. Literally got a list of what they did at NTU and got to the bottom, near enough the bottom, and saw rowing. And I thought, oh, I don't mind the rowing machine, so I'm going to go and do that. Nice. Yeah. Don't tell me it was at the bottom. That makes me feel bad. <laughs> no, no. I'm only joking. I um, I literally crossed each I'll one. Yeah, I just didn't have a reason not to go to rowing. And, <laughs> and then the little Joe that was probably, I'd like to think, a very different person to what I am now, rocked up to this taster session and saw a bunch of people, including Lewis Hackney. And I was like, hey, here we go. <laughs> This is this is me now, yeah. I I completely agree with your mate. I was so uh, you you may or may not know, but rowing was my second year decision. In first year, I didn't play any sport. Yeah, and 
that was I was very close to leaving uni after maybe three or four months because I really struggled with uh, making friends. Who thought it would be difficult to make friends with people doing maths? Um, yeah. So that was uh, that was probably the first decision that I had made that was wrong. So yeah, I really struggled to um, to make any connections in my sort of first year of university, and it was quite a tough time. And I'm actually yeah, recently doing research into it and seeing the negative effects and it actually is one of the leading causes of uh, attempts of uh, of suicide in the UK is actually men going to university and struggling to to make friends and, and seeing that as a, a way out of, of what they were yeah. sort of going through. So I completely agree with you and, and your friend that joining a sports team or any society of any interest is yeah. extremely important when, when going to university because it, you're usually you've moved away from home to a new city it's a new group of people everyone's in the same boat go and meet new people and go and try something different as well right rowing's a bit of a of a niche sport for us northerners right it is indeed yeah and um, i mean sadly you can almost see how people would get into that position because i did a chemistry degree um which is extremely relevant to what i do these days um and from the people that were on my course compared to myself, I think there was a few, don't get me wrong, I had a few mates, but there was very much, I was very sociable and there was a lot of people who you got put into groups with for the early sort of times of your study who I wasn't really compatible with and had I not done a sport, had I not been pushed to do one, then I, you know, I look at the people that were there and wonder where I would have gone, who would have sort of latched onto as a friendship group. Yeah, it would have been a different experience altogether, I think. Yeah, quickly get lonely as well, uni, which I did find out. Yeah, even 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 with that, even with that, I mean, for people listening, we we would be training most days, right? So yeah. but you still you still have those down parts where you're a bit like, Wow, now what type thing? Which is uh yeah, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting period in anyone's life, but if it's added pressure of not fitting in or not finding anything or not trying anything i yeah. can see how it, how it mounts up into into those sort of things so trying something new trying a different sport i'm gonna say it because i'm sure you're uh, you're aware because you have said it a little bit a little bit cocky joe when you when you first rocked up right it was <laughs> a bit of a yeah probably i'm from i'm I'm from Leeds and I've, I've come to play. Um, yeah, so talk me through that, that sort of three three years of, of uni and how that started to shape you into a into a bit of a different man and, and that, that side of things. Yeah, so one of the key things that did shape me, I think, rowing is one of the things that changed my life like very few other things have. And... Like you say, I was a very different person then. I think obviously I was I was I was eighteen. I was probably quite a raw eighteen year old. I always lived at home and gone to the same school my my entire um, education. Um, and then yeah, I went to university. And within three months, I had my my granddad suddenly passing away, and I was really close to him. So this is November in my first year, and um, that's another key thing that changed me really because I was 
I woke up one uh, Wednesday morning to 19 missed calls or something. Um, I was told, uh, some, one of my um, mates at uni who was also a mate from Leeds and knocking on my window, Joe, you need to answer your phone. So I answered and my mum told me my granddad had passed away and I was really close, used to speak most days. And um, that, me not dealing with that properly led to the room that I found out in being like a bit of a prison. And that was where, you know, it really, I wanted to spend as little time in that room as physically possible towards towards the end of my first year. As you can imagine, just a classic little single bed in a in a hall of a flat of six people, the absolute classic. In um in Peveril I was. I don't know if you ever had the uh, luxury of staying there for longer uh, than night or other. I'm I'm well aware, yeah. No, I was a little bit more I was late going to uni so I, I didn't have a choice of my horse that you want so um, yeah it's um yes yeah, yeah, that was what directly sort of steered me towards having to probably socialize more and then at uni my first year I got a job at the student union so along with a, a chemistry degree and rowing obviously novice year wasn't as intense I also had a part-time job at the student union, so that was the start of what turned into an absolute chaotic time at university where there's not enough hours in the day to be doing those three things, I can tell you from experience. No, you're, you're, yeah, I can imagine it wasn't, wasn't super easy. You mentioned that you didn't deal with it uh, accordingly. Is that how you dealt with it, just do more stuff? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, pretty much. And because um, I was probably, I think I was the only family member at that point who wasn't in Leeds. Obviously, went home, spent a few days at home. Um, immediate after maybe three days, four days, went back to university. And um, especially in terms of my course. Um, so look, on the actual day it happened, I managed to miss out on the... Uh, initiations which I'm sure you'd had something to do with and I missed out on an absolute treat yeah they would have been 100% within university guidelines yeah I heard they were so that is good to know but um, yeah. yeah I didn't attend those uh, a week later say give or take return to uni but I didn't really told anybody and I wasn't really interested in telling everybody and I've never been the most open person about that sort of thing classic sort of man talk not talking about what probably should have done um again went to the funeral but once i was back in nottingham I, I could switch off from that essentially um then so this is november that that happened and then in december obviously home for christmas um returning to home for a period of time really sort of that's where it drove home obviously a christmas day having family that's where it started to click in my head yeah this is actually something you've ignored but again back to university come january back to studying and it was just becoming a bit of a cycle of i think i knew i was i didn't give myself a chance to grieve which then just along with exhausting myself from doing so much was pushing me down into just a not a, not a depression as such, but 
where I knew that I had things to deal with and I just wasn't dealing with them well. It had to end somewhere or it had to sort of be dealt with. So you're obviously talking about the impact that that had on you and how this, I imagine with him being um, such a key role model for yourself, that it was escalated and was a little bit further along. Um, so do you want to just sort of explain how, how more difficult it was with the fact that your granddad was a bigger role model for yourself? Yeah, so it was always the, the person that I went to for any certain problems. And when those problems arose, then he wasn't there anymore. And turning to other people isn't always as easy when, you know, you can't take what you would have gone to with one person to someone else. It's that would have subconsciously, I think, even something that's positive, oh, I'm looking forward to telling my, my granddad and then the next time that happens, you relate something straight back to him. Watching Formula One, for example, used to watch that all the time and I'd always speak to my granddad about it. That'd, there'd be something interesting happen and as much as, yeah, I can speak to my mum or whoever else is interested about it, it just, he was always at the back of my mind, oh, he'd love that, oh, he'd uh, love talking about that, he'd have had something to say and... Um, yeah, really difficult when you can't just change the person who helps you with those things. It doesn't work like that at all, does it? No, uh, sort of both sides as well, like you said. So what in your mind was the turning point? How did you start to move out of this and start to move towards a more stable, I guess? Um, yeah, so I'd, I've completed first year of uni um did fine was at the point where I was I mean first years even in chemistry is pretty sort of straightforward um especially when you're at known Trent <laughs> and um yeah went home and ended up saying to my mum that I wanted like therapy to deal with the um, bereavement it was something that is at the time I think a uh, podcast like this obviously great at trying to dispel the myth, but it was quite a stigmatised thing of therapy if you're depressed or... But um, bereavement therapy was something I'd read about a little bit and it really helped me talk through the... And funnily enough, as I say that, um, I've realised in the past that I can't remember a single thing about any of the therapy sessions. It's almost like your brain has repressed them, but it's taken an issue and that issue hopefully has been solved and then I'd like to think that then you've moved on and I can't remember anything about the therapist other than it was in Horsforth in Leeds which is very like peculiar because they usually have a great memory for things like that yeah well like you say it's always, it's always like it's done its job uh, or you were hypnotised one of the two uh, yeah one of the two but either way it's um, yeah that was during the summer after my first year and um drew a line under it in terms of how much I was struggling, I think. Um, yeah. It was something that needed doing, and I'm glad that I did that at that point before it became something further, really. Can I ask you a question on that as well, which was, how did you make that decision? How did you go, when I go home at summer, I'm going to ask my mum if I can have counselling on this. What? How did you come to that decision? Well, I was on holiday with my parents that summer, um, so 
I went on a lad's holiday. I think I went to Iron Apple, maybe something classic. Um, yeah. Then went home. Oh no! Then went straight from uh, I think whichever holiday I was on, flew to a family holiday, and I was wasn't right. And I knew at the time in myself. Obviously, it took a bit of accepting, but I knew I wasn't right. I was wasn't chatty. I didn't want to do. Me and my dad used to go off and just walk for miles talking absolute bollocks um, and I just wasn't interested in doing any of that but I'd be like come on let's go have a kick about in, what, yeah. with a beach ball or something and I just wasn't interested and he said to me what's wrong one day I was like what is up with you and that's when I actually had forced into thinking about it forced into maybe yeah what is this and thought through it a bit but prior to that it was probably denial that anything was wrong. And I think that's probably not a rare thing to experience. No, I, I don't think it is at all. I think you almost take it on yourself or want to put it away or don't want to deal with it or feel that you need to just carry on and just, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think bereavement's a really interesting space for a lot of people because it's it happens right it's not an unnatural thing to happen to someone especially yeah. an older relative so to feel you just you sort of just sort of almost taught that it's okay you just feel bad and then over time this will pass and that you get used to the person not being there and these sort of things but there are other nuances that people sort of forget or misplace and i think it's a really really important part to consider especially yeah. when it comes to mental health and further development and just allowing yourself to be your best version of yourself right i think it's something that's overseen yeah. as just society people die type thing so yeah yes and uh, part of my sort of fortunate upbringing was that i hadn't experienced something like that i mean i lost my other granddad when I was probably too young to understand so I had a good 10 years of my life from 7 through to 19 um, 18 um, and I know that's 11 years but there was no dramatic bereavement during that time which isn't the case for many people and um, I was fortunate in a way that I still had my granddad who was the pillar of my family that we were close to there uh, my my mum's dad and every Christmas he'd be there. He was always reliable, um, granddad and leader of the family, and it hit everybody hard because it was the first loss in in that side of the family, and um, not being used to bereavement. No one can get used to it, but the very first experience was a heavy one, and just not dealing with it well all just contributed to this ball that was running faster down the hill and. I think that is what happens, isn't it? It spirals, it snowballs, and if you don't catch it, then you're up shit creek, I think. Yeah, no, I, and I think, like, the other thing as well is, like, there, everyone, everyone deals with things in different ways, and it might be reason A that you start spiralling, and someone might, reason A might happen to you, and you're just like, cool. And it's it's what triggers that and what's different for each people is, is really important to understand as other people in the world is like I can deal with A 
but if B happens to me, then I'm up shit creek. But if B happened to you, you might be like, ah, that's fine, no dramas. But A to you was the, the trigger. And I think that's also something to really consider as individuals that sort of deal with people and you just you just don't know what triggers people and it's important that you treat people in a way that is accepting and that you allow them to go through their shit and their problems no matter what caused them it doesn't it's a it's an irrelevance to to you essentially yeah exactly um not being able to you have to be able to deal with your own issues is something that i think i've learned from that and no one else is going to wipe your ass at the end of the day you yeah. something happens to you if you deal with it or no one else that's you know no one else can do it for you yeah definitely and i think i guess my my sort of next question is what would you suggest to little joe uh or to someone else that might find themselves in that position because from your story it's gone it happened in november right and it took you all the way to to june july and a, a kick up the arse from your dad to say what's wrong and then that started the cogs turning yeah not everyone's in that fortunate position not everyone is going to get that kick up the arse so what would your suggestion be to joe in november or someone else that might find themselves in that in that situation in the future or now potentially i think it's a you know million pound question of how you deal with bereavement isn't it and um looking back i don't know what directly i would have done wrong but being able to have uh if there was a method of dealing with something like that then that would be incredible for the entire world wouldn't it and i think everyone has their own ways of dealing with things and some people might be more calculated with what they do some people these days you'd like to hope that it's more of people have self-care and i think i was as an 18 year old who didn't have a clue what he was doing had there's no element of self-care in my life at that point um it was very much whatever's going on to get involved and um, I think that's probably part of what contributes to my downfall so that sort of thing easy to say now but I can having gr grown up and hopefully matured a little bit then I can look back every now and again and I think oh what where am I going here what what do I need to do for myself um, it's easily looked past uh, in day-to-day -day life of just not doing anything myself. I'm grinding on the nine to five, Monday to Friday. I go out and get pissed Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and then I'm hungry over Sunday, ready for work on Monday. What are you doing for yourself, though? That's the way that I think you stop those sort of spirals. Yeah, I think it's it's the hardest question to ask, and yeah. it's the most important one. What what am I doing for me? I think yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there, most definitely. Let's let's sort of fast forward a little bit. Let's move into career and what that looked like. I guess the big thing is chemistry, right? Not exactly vocational, doesn't lead into yeah. your typical careers. So what was that sort of junction like at the end of at the end of uni? 
Uh, a bit of a dead end in terms of a junction, I think, for me. Um, turned down a cul-de-sac in first year and it was a long one. Found the end of it at the end of third year and thought, fuck's sake, no shit. <laughs> turned around and left uni with a holiday to Australia on the horizon, which I knew I was going to. So I got a part-time job for the rest of that year, December uh, came, went away, came back in 2018, a year later, and uh, well, not year, the following January, um, came back and then looked at a full time job. Um, funnily enough, being down to where I used to work today with my girlfriend Phoebe and telling her about how I sort of fell into that role, and it was very, it, although it was nothing that I would ever have wanted to do for my career. The things that I learned at Zenith, which is um, a vehicle management company covering company cars, uh, rentals, long-term hires, things like that. The customer service side just built me into probably a, so much more thick-skinned and being able to con- like communicate in a, such a different way to, before that. Um, I was there for two and a half years before I realised that it was just not me anymore. I was trying to like learn how to develop the software that was on there instead of doing an actual job because it was that easy. <laughs> um, and uh, then fell into what my current job is. So initially joined DSEC as a um, site supervisor, trained to be a site manager. Uh, we work on rail projects across the country. Um, and that was just during COVID after everybody had started to get bored of the furlough um september 2020 got picked up to go there which is where i still am but um yeah that was an eventful time leaving university and finding that yeah dead end for me (laughs) yeah it's such a I'm so torn because I also did very like I did I did a year and a bit in actual finance and then yeah bit that off but I think for me and I think for you as well it's uh, university turned me into a completely different person it was um, four years of uh, growth uh, the degree was almost an irrelevant sort of byproduct of that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't do amazingly well in my degree, but that's a story for another day. And you, yeah, the, the leaving university, that the, the boy that started that didn't make any friends for the first year to where I was at the end of it, yeah, head and shoulders completely different. If I'd have stayed stationary, I don't know what kind of man I'd have I'd have turned into, but it definitely would not be a man that is confident enough to sit in front of a screen and talk to other people about being a man in 2023. I know that for a fact. So I'm torn between going to university just for the experience because it's obviously expensive and there's elements to it. But for me, it's, yeah, I wouldn't change a second of it because it's, yeah. For me, definitely the, another one of the things that was, life-changing and in terms of how I developed as a person absolutely incredible and I would put a lot more of that down to 
probably rowing than I would my degree, which is absolutely mental to say. And um, people who probably didn't have the same experience will be listening thinking, fucking rowing. Like, it's all they ever fucking <laughs> talking about, which I actually don't row anymore. But um, there was a time where I'd get up, go and go to my, we'd, we'd go training at quarter past six, we'd go to Spoons at eight o'clock, I'd leave at quarter to nine, and I'd be in lectures from nine till five. And I didn't want to be in those lectures. It was just a way of getting to the next training session, really. And I could do a lot of the chemistry in my sleep in the first two years, at least. And it was so much more than that for me. It was just, yeah, the the relationships outside of uh, my degree were so much more important than I think what I actually did. Yeah, I think university is multi-pronged and I think you need to, if you're, if you're going, you've got to experience it. Like I'm, I'm currently, I'm currently in Madrid. I'm doing 12, this 12 week program and my learnings from university that I didn't do to the full extent, which is you're here, make the most of it. I have categorically done that here in these 12 weeks i've literally thrown myself into anything and everything that they they offer i'm just like yeah i'll do that yeah i'll try that yes i'm gonna throw myself out of my comfort zone which i've had to learn the the, the long way around well i just learn it by doing right um so yeah i think it's it's an important aspect is just do everything and anything that's available to you when you when you go because you you'll regret not doing things and I regret not doing certain things in my first year. Yeah. But I'm also glad that I didn't because I found rowing. Yeah. I also well, think... I'm, I'm rowing. Yeah. It's, whether you... whether you, Yeah. Whether we regret that sport decision or not, I think rowing brings a certain type of person together as well. You know, you saying you throw yourself head, heads into everything. You absolutely... That's always something I did. And I think if you look at the people who did row, those almost a type of if you look at degrees across the whole rowing community you can probably put at least half of rowers into the stem category of degree which is mental considering that the number of doctors that row is something i'd never be able to get my head around but i always think there's something in that it pulls people into a certain pulls, pulls people in it's almost an escape and i think definitely for me rowing was an escape it could go and sit on a row machine for 45 minutes in a session or whatever we were doing and for that 45 minutes we'll have to think about fucking organic chemistry and whatever the hell we've been taught by some raging alcoholic professor that day (laughs) (laughs) yeah i get yeah i get what you mean it's so it was almost so hard it was just mind-numbing which is which is true and I, i guess sort of moving on from the boring, the boring talk of, <laughs> of rowing. I, I want to talk about like career, like because for, for you, right? Let's be let's be honest. This is your this is the start of your career. This is very early. It might change again, and it might tweak again, and you might go and do something else. You're obviously enjoying what you're doing right now. Yeah. What was the what was the pressure like at that stage? Because you said you fell into it, and I feel like that's usually what sort of happens is you'll do a degree, and you're like, oh, I'll go and look at some jobs in that sector after six months or whatever was there any like realization or 
decision where you went, yeah, this is fine. I like doing what I'm doing. I don't really want to go and, and look over there. And I guess there's almost like that societal side to it as well, where it's like, well, why did you do that degree and not do anything with it? What yeah. What was your sort of story on that side? So I think having gone to having now we're in sort of February 2018, where I'd not applied to any grad schemes. I wasn't interested in that. I didn't want to commit to something that I didn't want to do. Having probably committed to chemistry, which I was okay with doing, but I was probably close to my wit's end at the end of my degree. I didn't want to continue something science-based, really. And um, so leaving university, I didn't want to make... I wouldn't say chemistry was a mistake, but I knew I didn't want to make a mistake that that had almost tempted me into. Um, So that never was really an option. So then I looked locally at what was interesting and strangely just sort of came across this advert which was for a new team and so there was formal training there was um various trips that you go on in like a six-week training period initially and i thought yeah that looks you know you can at least build a skill from whatever this is um the formal training was quite good and but quite easy and i found the job comfortable enough that I, and a good environment it was a great place to work if not the, if the job wasn't you know world changing that I thought yeah this is fine and whilst I think obviously there's the almost every person so what did you do chemistry why are you here so yeah. well, the things I probably did learn from my degree the well, the few things I did learn are probably all transferable skills um speaking in front of people and communicating and the various things that come with that it's probably went straight into giving me a head start in any of those custom facing industries which was how i sort of fell into that i think yeah no you're right the the I, there's all the, we're not here to pitch university i guess but yeah there's many transferable skills that sort of get you going where you're where you want to go yeah what's your i guess people that are leaving uni panicking a little bit that they're potentially not going to go into the section or the sector that they've been studying in and don't know what to do a bit panicky what would you again going back to joe at that stage what sort of like advice or thought process would you suggest someone to go through at at that sort of stage i mean if i could tell myself in 2017 to do anything it would be make your tickets australia one way because i think that's almost something that i felt even mental to say now i'm 27 and i was 21 at the time but i thought i was i thought i had to start my career at that point and i think everybody does the people yeah. who still in gap year prior to uni and gone travelling, I thought, ah, oh, they, they nailed that. And now I'm 27 and considering moving to Australia in the next couple of years, which is, you know, if back then I'd have thought, no, you'll be near 30, you'll be way down the line, you'll be way past it. Yeah. And it's, everyone has a different track and I think the world is so small these days that you don't need to put yourself into one city or one country and I mean you're you're now living in the, the third the third country that I can 
name off the top of my head that you've lived in. So prime example, it's a small world. Get out there. Yeah, it, it is. And I am over 30, so uh, it's fine. Yeah, and There's plenty of people that here that are also over 30, so I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> It's it's really it's like it's a really interesting thought process that twenty one year old self of like you have to start your career now because that's it this, you've done your uni you got to you got to get into it and I guess I didn't I didn't know that about you Joe that you were you were considering moving I would suggest doing it if you're considering it because it means that it's more of a yeah a thought than anything else. But the my sort of question on that is you from from my memory to you, and I think uh, you would probably agree with this yourself. You are a Leeds boy through and through. You uh, <laughs> you love you love that you love that city, rightly or wrongly. And uh, <laughs> I would I would love to just sort of get your your opinion on your sort of home structure and that sort of, I guess, safety net to an extent, because that's sort of what it, it feels like from, from me looking looking in, is like Leeds is the city that I am, I'm the king of and this is my, my city. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, various life experiences teach you that it's the world's a small place. And going back to that trip when I left uni and went to Australia, um, I went with my parents and my younger sister and my and family friends and two of their sons, the third of which had just moved out to Sydney. So we basically went to, to see him and um, turned it into a bit of a tour of the East Coast. Um, of the five of us who, the five children of the two couples, my parents and my godparents, I'm now the only one that hasn't lived in Australia. So whilst obviously the safety net from seeing so there's Jack, Tom, who was the first to move out there, Robbie, still out there, and my sister Rachel, still out there. Um, the safety net is always still there. They come home, they spend a few weeks, and bounce around, see all the mates, and it's like a holiday for them. But then I think it clicks that there's a period of time they realise nothing's changed at home, and yeah. you can spend your whole life in the same place. The safety net's going to be there. Um, your friends are going to be there obviously as long as you make the effort to vaguely keep yeah. in touch the, the family's still there and you can catastrophize any potential disaster in your mind that you want but at the end of the day unless you're really lucky it's not going to fucking happen is it so it's um, a, a, like you say I think looking at people I went to school with Weatherby is a small town and small town syndrome, I think, is very real, where people grow up, go to school, get a job, get a house, get married, have kids in the same place and think that that is the end, the be-all and end-all. And yeah. uh, from an outlook, from a people watching people who do that in my old town where I went to school, it's just, yeah, it's not something I'm interested in. Yeah. I'm the wrong person to uh, say that sentence to because I more than agree. I yeah. do understand that people can be extremely happy doing that. And I, oh. I'm actually extremely envious of that as well, in the sense that it's like, I enjoy the local pub. I enjoy doing yeah. this and I enjoy seeing these people and this is great. 
So for those people, I'm super happy for because that is like the ultimate contentment is it's all within five miles of, of yeah. where I was born, which is great. So I am envious of those sort of people, but I don't think everyone is like that. I think a lot of people have itches and urges and considerations. Then yeah, I I personally can't stay still. I think it's uh, the world yeah. is tiny. It is so connected these days. It is amazing. And yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And I think one of the things that really, I, I always sort of use this as an example is like hundreds of years ago, people went to China, people went to India and then they came back. We can joke about what we were talking about earlier before they came back and they brought in the, the culture and enhanced the area by saying in China, they drink tea in India, they eat this thing called spice. Let's try this here. And the people go, oh, that's all right, actually. Yeah, I like that. And I, and I feel that that's the same now. Like, you can come back and you've got great stories and you've got a little bit more about you. And like you say, there's that buzz of like, oh, Joe's back, Lucy's back, uh, Rachel's back, whoever's back. is, And then they're like, uh, yeah. you're able to share your knowledge that you've sort of gained from the world, I guess. And uh, yeah, it's for me, it's something that I think I can do for... For many more years, I don't think I'll be a stationary guy. No, um, seems like a stupid thing to say, but yeah, I don't think I'll be stationary. Uh, from stationary more... guy, you look like. I'm going to rename the podcast the Stationary Guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think my my girlfriend Phoebe is a, a big driver of that as well because she's obviously what she's said is her job can easily transfer to another country, so why not? And whilst it's always yeah. an option for me, I've never thought, why not? I've always thought, oh, yeah, it's there. And that is the opposite of a safety net. It's something that you'd have to make the jump to go to. And maybe you need a push to go to that and get out of your comfortable safety net. Um, but definitely something that I want to do. I've always, I've always said to myself, prime example, that I didn't want to live in Leeds all of my life, excluding university. And so yeah. at what point was I actually considering doing that? You know, you can just say that for your entire life, get to 65 and actually I have lived in Leeds all life. <laughs> yeah, and it's easily done and you're like, oh shit, that's a, there's some regret there, which is really important not to have. But yeah. I also think the environment, it has to be the right environment. You can't just move because you think it's shit. You need to experience have a reason to move, have something that you're moving into yeah. and have a bit of an understanding of what you're moving into. Because I have moved to a country that I didn't actually know where it was on the planet, let alone anything about it. And I lived there for 18 months. But in hindsight, I shouldn't have done that because that was a bit silly. Um, yeah. And I should have looked at what was going on there a bit. Uh, that's my bit of advice for people that are yeah. considering moving abroad. Um, I realise I just want to touch on Jakarta, but I initially think that you didn't know where Spain was on a map just then, you know. <laughs> yes, just to clarify, I know where Spain is on a map. I don't know, I didn't know where Indonesia was on a map yeah. at the time. Um, I do now. Um, mainly because I just hadn't spanned the globe yet. Um one piece of advice I would actually, this is a random piece of advice, but if you ever see a globe on somebody's, like, I don't know, 
table in the in the lounge or whatever. Just go and look at it. It's, I find it absolutely fascinating. You just, no matter how much you've done the sparkle quizzes on name the country or the city or the flag, then you spin that, you'll find somewhere you think, what? No, I've never seen that before. I've never heard of that. And yeah, fascinating. But there we go. A little side piece for you. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I enjoy that. Um, I'm going to mention the word one more time before we finish, but uh, I want to talk about rowing and what was next because I think sport and doing something and enjoying stuff outside of work and relationships is really important so after 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 the r word what what have you started to look at and started to consider as a an activity that you sort of partake in yeah so um an interesting question really the one that I've spent probably six 18 months now sort of battling really because I was um, training towards Henley 2022 and and contracted Campylobacter from Wagamama's um, which is basically just chronic food poisoning um, I was yeah. very well for about three weeks lost 10 kilos and was immediately out of the Henley boat so was denied a third appearance at Henley and to complete the trio of Cox, Stroke, Side and Bow Side. But then I didn't have the desire to go back. I mean, started a relationship and found that there were more things to life. And the last 12 months in terms of sport have been understanding that rowing is quite an... It's, some people will laugh, but it's quite an extreme sport in how you train and how you have to prepare for certain things. To be any good, it's that competitive. You have to compete. Yeah, um, you have to train ten times a week minimum, and then from going from there to nothing was a bit of a culture shock. I felt guilty that I couldn't train. I felt like I had to be. If I'd gone two days without training, I felt unfair. And then to realise that in normal life that is not what people do. Uh, people don't get up at five a.m. on a Saturday and Sunday and go and sit in a boat for four hours. It's um, that's only recently come to me channeling it into something different. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a normal sport by any stretch of the imagination. I retook up golf two years ago, and I have jokingly said to people that if I'd have played golf to the level that I'd rode at for three years. I probably would be a professional golfer right now. Oh, yeah. I think that's... If you talk about the 10,000 hours principle that is so often thrown around, I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. anyone who's ever taken road seriously has easily conjured up 10,000 hours and we were definitely not professional. But no. if we'd have put that into... I mean, similarly, I'm I'm playing a bit of golf now and only just, I think, caught the bug properly. Um, yeah. But I'm forced again to not play a more physical sport because I've, I've torn my meniscus in my knee. So whilst I'm waiting for scans and various things on that front, the only realistic thing to get out and about other than walking my dog is um, playing golf. And yeah. now I'm at the point where actually, yeah, if I don't go to the gym for five days and actually couldn't care less because 
I can spend my time, I can have the fulfilment of exercise and being outside by playing golf and it's a such a different sport and it's the possibly the polar opposite to rowing, but it's another fantastic way of spending your time. Yeah, I think it has the same sort of attribute of you have to be in it. You cannot physically just play golf. You have to be yeah. 100% concentrated. You have to be thinking about that one shot. There's no chance of you thinking about, I can't remember what you said, organic chemistry. <laughs> yeah. And I, I get that it is it is similar. I've never really thought of it in the, that sense, but once you've taken the stroke, either rowing or in golf, then there's no point getting pissed off at it if it was shit because you've got another one coming up. Yeah, and uh, thankfully it's a little lot less strokes. But yeah, it's um, yeah. Well, it depends how bad you are at golf. But yes, it's I, for me. I, I find that it's the sort of same sort of release in a sense of it's a pure concentration sport. No matter what way you look at it, thankfully it's not physically ex- as exerting, but it is very like in the moment it's very hard for thoughts to come in in regards to anything else in life and the fact that it's four hours is great in my opinion it should be longer no four hours is enough Um, (laughs) yeah it depends who you ask doesn't it (laughs) it does yeah i play with some slow people and that annoys me yeah uh, i've always been fast Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure, Lewis. I'm sure, there's plenty of people at uni who would have attested to that as well. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of people that would agree that I was fast. Anyway, um, right. Well, that was uh, a wonderful way to spend a Thursday evening, Joe. But as always, I'd love to end on the question that I start with, and that is, Joe, in your words, based on the conversation that we've had today as well. What makes you a man? I think good values, family, and a willingness to a willingness to learn in any sense. Amazing. Thank you once again, Joe. Speak soon. Thanks for having me.